Amen. Please take your seats. And as you're taking your seats, if you turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament, we return once again to our study of the book of Samuel, particularly 1 Samuel and our text today, after our basically month-long hiatus, is 1 Samuel chapter 23. So if you would turn in the scriptures to 1 Samuel 23, you'll remember that the first portion of 1 Samuel, we have the provision of this godly prophet Samuel. And yet, the people want not that sort of leader. They don't want the God of Israel to really be, in essence, their, their king. They're looking for a king like the nations. And the Lord gives them what they want. And he gives them that man, Saul. And yet we see the downfall of, of, of Saul and then now the raising up of a man after God's own heart in David. With that in mind, let us give our attention to the reading of God's word beginning with chapter 23, verse 1. Now they, and the they are most likely spies, spies working for David. Now they told David, behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are rubbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Kalah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Kalah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Kelah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Kelah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. And David saved the inhabitants of Kelah. When Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, had fled to David to Kelah, he had come down with the ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Kelah, and Saul said, God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. And Saul summoned all the people to war, to go down to Kelah, to besiege David and his men. And David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him. And he said to Abathar, the priest, bring the ephod here. And then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Kalah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Kalah surrender me into his hands? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then David said, will the men of Kalah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. Just pause there. The ones that he has just saved. And yet, they will be fickle. They will surrender him. Then David and his men, who were about 600, arose and departed from Kalah. And they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Kalah, he gave up the expedition. And David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country, the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. Now David saw that Saul had come to seek his life. 
And David was in the wilderness of Seth at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh. So he is going to see him again. So he went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Don't fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Maybe for the last time. Verse 19. Then the Sivites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds of Horesh on the hill of Hakalah, which is south of Jeshmon? Now come down, O king, according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you have had compassion on me. Can you imagine such words? Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is and who has seen him there. For it is told me that he's very cunning. See therefore and take note of all the lurking places where he hides and come back to me with sure information. Then I will go with you. And if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon and in the Arabah to the south of Jeshmon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon, and Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain, and David was hurrying to get away from Saul, and Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them. And the messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry, come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. Have you ever had a struggle? Something's going on in your life. Maybe it's vocational. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a a community issue. You've had a struggle and it's, it's lasted a long time. It strained you and, and, you, and, you, and you get through it. By God's grace, you get through it. And you think it's done and you turn from it. And then to be then met with some other battle, some other struggle. It's like going from one thing to the next. And, and, and it just keeps going. And it dawns on you. That's the way life oftentimes is. You think you've arrived, you think you've got to a safe place, and then something else hits, and then something else hits, and then something else hits. We're, we're on a journey, and that journey can be very long. We have battles, and then we have more battles, and then we have more battles. And when I look at this passage, when I, when, when I look here, and, and I think, and we were at the end of chapter 22, and we see uh, David and his 
band, his, his forming army of, of misfits and the marginalized. And yet they've reached a point of somewhat of safety in, in the forest and in the caves. And yet something happens again. When I look at this passage, chapter 23, I think David was probably thinking the same thing. Oh no, what's next? As soon as he's kind of got this group together, they hear of this problem of the Philistines. The Philistines coming and, and stealing the grain from the farmers and uh, therefore there's nothing left for the inhabitants of Keilah. And then something else happens. And then something else happens. When we read stories like these stories, biblical stories, we, we look at them and, and because we're human beings, we oftentimes want to find ourselves some way, some form, some fashion in the story. We, we, we see human problems that human beings go through. and We, we want to relate. And, and that's proper. And it's good for us to do so. And I, and I think we are like David in that sense. We are fallen human beings and we find ourselves in an ongoing journey that one battle just doesn't end it. There are other battles to come. There are other struggles to come. There's another one tomorrow. And when I, when I sense that, when I come along and see David, I can, I can take encouragement because in this chapter we see God providing for David in remarkable, wonderful ways. That's one way we come to a text like this, but there's another way that we come to a text like this. Not only to try to find another human being going through similar sort of things and see, get some inspiration, get some encouragement to see how God had dealt with somebody in the past. Maybe he's going to deal with me in the same sort of way. But there's another way that we need to read a passage like this, and we need to read it uh, in, in, in another way because our Lord and Savior has taught us to. In Luke chapter 24, the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, meeting the disciples on the road to Emmaus, told them what? That all the scriptures did what? Pointed them to him. And that means this chapter not only gives me a fellow sojourner in this world who struggles in David, but this chapter also points me to someone other than David. This chapter points me to the Lord Jesus Christ. When I come to a passage like this, I'm looking for Christ. I'm looking for how I need Christ. I'm looking for how Christ is that Savior, the only Savior of sinners that I need. When I come to a passage like this, I, I, I see Christ. But how? One way we, we see Christ is to think about David because David prefigures Christ. David is the king of his people, and Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, is from the line of David, right? And so David, in a certain sense, not only tells me something about me as a fallen sinner, but David points me to Jesus. And the way he points me to Jesus, as I've looked at the chapter and as I've studied, is in this way. I see the things that God provided to King David, then I think about the son of David, and I see the things that the son of David didn't have. I look at this chapter and see the wonderful provisions of God. And the three provisions that I see, the first one is that, that David has divine access. He's got access to God through the priest, through the use of the ephod. Now, I have no idea how that ephod worked. 
But David has access to it. He has access to it and through it, through the high priest or through the priest to God, and God answers him. And God gives him a direct answer. And God gives him a good answer. And God gives him an answer. You're going to be victorious. Go do this. First see that David's got divine access and he's got an answer, direct answer to prayer. And it's a good answer, isn't it? You're going to do it. I don't know about this. And this man says, I don't know about this. And they go ask again. And God's gracious. He says, go do this. You're going to be successful. He's got divine access. He also has this wonderful human encourager. He's got his dear friend, Jonathan. And Jonathan risks it all, doesn't he? He comes out to find David, and he comes to bring him encouragement. It's going to be okay. Now, it's not merely human encouragement, is it? He's going to be okay. Why? Because God's going to provide. God's going to protect. God is not going to give David over into the hand of Saul. He has, David has this wonderful, glorious friend. And this friend brings him encouragement. And then that last part of Ziph, and wow, uh, boy, who needs enemies when you got fellow citizens who are willing to turn you over into Saul's hands, right? Who needs enemies? And yet we see in that last section how God miraculously does what? He confuses Saul. He sends a messenger. He uses, get this, ironically, God uses Philistines to deliver David. He uses enemies as deliverers. David's got divine access and a, and a positive word from God, an encouraging word. David's got this wonderful, encouraging friend, this godly encouragement, and David has an enemy turned into a deliverer. He has strange protection. He has those things. What does the son of David have? I, I couldn't help but be drawn as I studied this passage to another passage. We could take it from any one of the gospel writers. Go with me to Mark. Mark chapter 14. David could inquire of the Lord through Abiathar, through the ephod. He was given direct, glorious, good news, good words. Verse 32. And they, Jesus and his disciples, went to a place called Gethsemane. he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed 
that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. And we're not told he received any answer, are we? The answer could have been, go up and fight, you'll be victorious. But by the way, your fighting will be by dying. Jesus got the Garden of Gethsemane. And also notice too, Jesus got friends who didn't bring him a word of encouragement. He got friends who did what? Fell asleep. Denied him. Abandoned him. And he came, verse 37, and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and he prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they didn't, did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. See, my betrayer is at hand. Jesus got the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus got friends who fell asleep. Jesus got friends who would deny him. Jesus got friends who would abandon him. And Jesus also got, notice, not an enemy turned into a deliverer. Jesus got what? A friend betraying him with a kiss. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him, Jesus, and at once said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. Go down to verse 50. And they all left him and fled. Jesus got a friend who betrayed him with a kiss. And even more unfathomable, Jesus has a loving father who instead of pouring out love, pours out what? Wrath upon his son. Verse 33. 
with chapter 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, to take, it, to, uh, take it to him to give him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Jesus got Gethsemane. Jesus got friends who fell asleep. Jesus got friends who would abandon him. Jesus got a friend turned enemy, one who would betray him. Jesus gets the Holy Father and the Holy Father's eternal wrath. Not for the sins of Jesus, because he had none. The eternal wrath that you and I deserve. How does 1 Samuel 23 point me to Jesus? At least in this way. Why does Jesus do that? So that the one who we were at enmity with, that we were at enmity with, becomes our loving, forgiving, caring Father. What's Paul tell us in Romans 5? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 10 of Romans chapter 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Why does Jesus do this? So that the Father would be our loving Father, forgiving us of our sins, that we might have peace with him. So that we would also have a friend. One who sticketh closer than a brother. You remember the proverb. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Why would Jesus do this? So that we would always have access to the Father. Through him. Not through an ephod. Through him. What does the writer of Hebrews tell us? Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
Let us then with confidence do what? Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God provided gloriously for David. The son of David gave up those provisions and he gave up those provisions so we might have them. So that you might have them. So that God might be your father. So that you might have a friend that will stick closer than any brother on earth would. So that you might have access, direct access through him, through Jesus, to the Father in your time of need. Yes, you go through battles and sometimes it looks like they're done and then you face another one. But you don't face another one alone. You have a friend that's better than any Jonathan. You have a priest that's better than any Abathar. And you have the one who is at enmity with you, rightly so, now at peace with you because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have everything you need. Everything you need to persevere, to keep on, to battle the next battle, to take the next leg in the journey. Do not Give up. When you're hurting, when you're broken, when you're alone, you're not alone. You have Christ. You have Christ. You have the far greater David, the far greater Jonathan, the far greater Abathar. You have the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have what? Everything. Access. Encouragement. And strange providence of the one who should be your enemy now being your loving Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you know Lord Jesus Christ, you know because you've experienced it, how we are tempted in the face of the next battle, in the face of the next problem, in the face of the next ongoing struggle, just when we thought we were done. You know the temptation that we face to give up, to throw in the towel, to be done with it all. You know, Jesus, our temptation. So please, oh glorious Savior, make intercession for us now. Help us to see your strange providence is at work in our lives and nothing is beyond your power and you can do all things and you'll do surprising things and you'll even change enemies into friends. Oh, help us to hold fast to this hope that you never leave us or forsake us. Help us to hold fast 
to the knowledge that you provide for us and that your grace is sufficient for every struggle, for every battle. Help us, O glorious Christ. Hear his prayer, O heavenly Father. Pour forth your spirit that we would be people of faith. Glorying in the blessings that are ours, clinging to him in our time of need. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.